This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello and welcome to a new season of the Music to My Ears podcast, brought to you by BBC Music Magazine, the world's best-selling classical music monthly. This week we talk to the Pulitzer Prize-winning composer, violinist and producer Caroline Shaw about the music that underscores her day-to-day life and how she balances the various facets of her fascinating career. Her album Orange of string quartets performed by the Attacker Quartet for the non-such label was nominated for a BBC Music Magazine Award earlier this year. Our editorial assistant, Freya Parr, spoke to Caroline Shaw over Zoom from her home in Massachusetts. So how has the last year looked for you as a composer? Um, you know, since since March, it's interesting. The first couple of months, I um, kind of completely like shut down all creative life. It felt like... In a way, I needed it. I think I've been going on like full steam for about seven years, and um, and it was just there was it was very sad. And and then I sort of slowly over the summer got back into things, and now I you know I have plenty of things that I I to write sort of commissions going into twenty twenty three, but now doing a little bit of film score stuff. uh, and then, you know, recently made uh, for a, there's a four-year-old who's in my, in my life who uh, wanted to write a song about a purple unicorn rainbow. So I wrote that. How has your relationship with listening been throughout this time? Have you been listening to music while in lockdown? Off and on. I, you know, usually in my, in normal non-lockdown life, I don't listen to a ton because I'm usually writing something. Um, and then I'll go into a deep dive of uh, usually it's, it's like, um, current hip hop playlists. That's what I'll do a deep dive in. And then I always, my go-to is always Bach, um, Glenn Gould, Bach, anything always. That's been a comfort zone for me. 
So when you yeah. listen to the hip hop, does that do you kind of want to listen to something that's totally unconnected from what you might be writing at the time? It's usually something that I'm definitely into in terms of thinking about pop production because I do occasionally some of that. And, um, but it's usually very different from whatever I'm writing classically at the time. It's sort of, I feel like I have these different worlds. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, sometimes it's research. Sometimes it's enjoyment. Sometimes it's to get myself outside. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go back to your initial interactions with music. Um, now with our first main question, which is what was the first piece of classical music you fell in love with? The first thing I always think of is this, um, there's a moment of La Traviata, which is in the second act. That is, I think, the first music that I ever cried to. And that for me, that feels like a salient memory is the first music that I ever. moment of La Traviata, I think I found a CD in my dad's study and, and started listening to it and I fell in love with it and I became obsessed when I was probably 10 or so. Um, and then I really fell in love with music again when I started playing string quartets with friends, which was shortly after um, Mozart. Um, Bach was a much later love. Beethoven I did not like for a very long time, but um, weirdly opera. Yeah. Wow. So how old were you when you first came across La Traviata then? I think there was a there was like a traveling opera company that came through town and I saw a performance and I was I think I was 10. So you you watched that entire opera in a live performance then? Yeah, I did. I think I um I think it was in English, so that was helpful and my dad was there like sort of describing what was happening. He's a um he's a pulmonologist, so he was really interested in the in the disease that she had. <laughs> so <I> mean, <laughs> she <laughs> It was, I remember him at intermission telling me what exactly she had. It's like, well, they call it consumption, but it's actually tuberculosis, which is a disease we have eradicated. <laughs> and, um, and he would describe, you know, what was happening to her body and like what would happen to her over the course of the opera. And it was so sad to me. Um, and, but also this, this particular scene where she is talking to her, um, her, you know, Alfredo's father, her boyfriend's father, and he asks her to leave. Alfredo because it's sort of a scandalous relationship and she very selflessly does this for um, Alfredo's sister. It's really, um, it's a very, like a, I think a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful character. Violetta is a beautiful character, but also the music is really, is really gorgeous. So somehow I then after that had this um, double disc set uh, on Deutsche Grammophon of La Traviata that I kind of obsessively listened to for a long time. I feel like opera is probably quite an uncommon first major interaction with music. Have you always enjoyed opera in that way? No, not always. I think I, I think I fell for for a long time. I, I listened to sort of Traviata and then Mozart operas. I loved um, and a little bit of Puccini. And then, kind of in my twenties, I fell out of love with, with opera, which was really weird because it had been such a big part of my life and my kind of like musical, uh, musical falling in love. <laughs> and I'm getting back into it. I'm now I'm actually have become more interested in musicals, American musical theater. Cause I live in that part of New York city. It's like, you know, London West end, if you live just down the block. So I have seen a lot of musicals and I, I still love 
songs, songwriting, story, um, and that you know that paired with with melody is really is really uh, beautiful. Obviously, many people love opera. <laughs> Not saying anything new here. <laughs> so, talk to me about musical theatre. What are your favourite musicals? Um, you know, usually it's my favorite musicals, whatever I'm watching at the moment. And I can't claim to be like, a, you know, an expert. I haven't seen everything. I don't have a, um, yeah, a huge catalog of, of things that I know very well, but a, the excitement in the room, people genuinely love it. It's such a joy in the audience. Usually. Um, I don't always love the music. I kind of get past it. There's like a musical theater sound often. Um, but the, uh, like just the story and the combination of song and the and the pacing of it, I love. I think the pacing in musical theater is is really interesting and very different from a lot of opera that I've seen. I mean, more, most recently, I saw two shows on their closing days, which is the most fun to see, thing to see on Broadway because everybody in the audience has gotten their ticket way in advance and has been looking forward to this, and they know this is the last day of the show. So one of them was Waitress, which is the musical by Sarah Bareilles. And the other is this um, funny musical called The Prom, which we saw on our block. We thought, oh, I don't know if that's going to be so good, but it was it was great. There must be something about the theatricality of those performances that kind of spoke to you initially as well. Yeah, I think it's this. I mean, the story for one is, is key. I think we all identify so much with certain characters and the way that they're shaped and then the way that you get to know them in a, you know, only two and a half hours. You really go through a, such a journey with a with a person and music is such a big part of that so it's it's both I think I love the music of opera much more than the music of musical theater but I love the the you know other things about musical theater much more <laughs> so what was your relationship with music before you saw the opera then did you uh, were you playing music did you grow up in a musical household I started violin when I was um, probably two years old. My mother is a Suzuki violin teacher and my older, two older brothers who played violin. So I can't even remember beginning. That's just, um, I think it was handed to me and put in my arms. And my, my mother is a wonderful teacher, really brilliant with teaching younger children. And Suzuki is all about sort of learning um, music kind of as the same time as you're learning language. And then I studied with a, a violin teacher, Joanne Bath, for from about age four to age 18. And violin was really the main thing in my life always. And, um, and as I got, you know, older, kind of in middle school and high school and, um, started playing with friends, I think once violin became a social thing and music became a social thing, I, that's when it really kicked in for me. I think like a lot of, you know, kids who played, you know, you like, once you start playing in a band, that's when it really gets serious. And so I started playing a string quartet and it got really serious. Um, and I always thought that I was going to play for, you know, play in an orchestra, play in a string quartet and started kind of doing other things in my life after that. And I sang in, you know, I sang in a, um, I grew up in an Episcopal church in North Carolina, sang in a choir, you know, very high Anglican style. So singing was always part of it, but it was part of an ensemble, nothing solo. I was pretty shy. So what was your segue to composition then from from ensemble playing? Um, I started writing, um, I think I once I started playing string quartet music by Mozart, I wanted to try and, you know, figure that out and write something. And I someone gave me a music notebook. I remember a spiral notebook of music paper. And I started putting things down that sounded like what I wanted to hear. And that was, you know, it was probably middle school then. And then always was kind of curious about it in college, but was in a, in the performance program and not really in the composition program. So we'd just do it on my own. Again, kind of thinking about 
making things for string quartets and people that I was playing with. And then as I got to, as I got older and went to grad school and wrote something for my recital and then began writing for friends and for dancers and playing for dance classes. And that's when I got, I think the composition became much more serious when I was sort of actively making music for several hours a day with ballet and modern dance classes. That's when I started thinking of myself as much as a music creator, as a, as a performer. And how did you develop your sound during that time? When did you feel cemented in what you were doing and confident with your style and your approach? Um, never. <laughs> I've never felt comfortable in my approach. I don't know what I'm doing. I hope I never know what I'm doing. I think that would be a really boring day. I do have, you know, I have a lot of confidence. I know, I know that I, I was t- talking to another younger composer the other day about basically this idea of confidence and letting go of that little voice that says that you're not good enough. And I said, I had to sort of decide, I just decided a few years ago, I can't let that, um, you know, keep me from making something. And, and I, what I rely on a lot is a love of music. And I talk about that. I think that's something that is, has been consistent in my life and is like a, a wonderful well of energy that I can always draw from when I'm writing music is, is loving other music very deeply from, a you know, whether it's usually it's Bach. If I, if I'm writing something, I need to sort of go back to this feeling of absolute joy or sadness or something that kind of cuts you right in the center. And that makes for me, makes me want to create things. I'll go back and listen to something that I've loved for a long time. Have you ever done arrangements of Bach, or is he just more of a, a general all-round inspiration? Yeah, general, yeah, <laughs> all-around inspiration in, in a way that I couldn't really describe. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I've, I've done a lot of pieces that kind of respond to other composers. I don't know that I've responded to Bach. He's like that good friend that you don't want to like ask him for a favor. <laughs> <laughs> He's untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that brings us on to our next question, which is, what's the best concert you've ever been to? In 2001, I stood outside for like three hours to get a ticket to the um, this concert in Graz, Austria, to hear Cecilia Bartoli sing with, um, I don't know how you pronounce it, a Vienna orchestra <laughs> with um, Nicholas Harnoncourt conducting. It's like Consentus Musicus Wien. I don't know if that's the word. Anyway, I, I, and it was all Mozart and Haydn. And she's one of those performers that I think also deeply loves music. You see it in her face, you hear it in her expression. She uses breath in such a wonderful way. I think she's criticized for her use of breath, but I think it's really so expressive. And I stood in the very back of the hall, stood up the whole time, and I was just so deeply moved. And it's still a memory for me of of seeing something that, yeah, just hearing hearing a very special event with other people who are also really excited to be there. And of course, there are also many other concerts that I've been to that I also love, but that's the clearest memory. And there's a band called Tune Yards, which was run by Meryl Garbus back about 10 years ago. I heard Tune Yards in the small club in Philadelphia, where I was up in a balcony about probably only about 30 feet away from them. And it was really exciting. What style of music are they then? I guess you would call it indie rock folk jam you know indie music (laughs) i don't know what you call (laughs) general generally vibrant colored music was what i would say Seem 
Have you always listened really broadly? No, I think that I, I think I've mostly listened to classical music until mm. now. My listening is is really wide, and sort of in concentrated periods of, t- of periods. But up until I was probably twenty three, it was almost entirely classical. I find this question particularly poignant at the moment because no one can mention any concert really that they've seen in the last six to nine months, really, because barely any of us have been. Have you felt that loss of live music from where you are? Yeah, in in. I think I try not to think about it, but when I do, I have these, you know, very clear, I think we all have had these memory, like you're doing something in your house that feels normal and you remember something and then you realize you remember that we're in COVID. You remember a concert and then you remember that you can't have that. <laughs> and I have that, I feel like daily, usually when I'm washing the dishes and I miss it. I miss it very deal. I miss um, not only the the music making, but also seeing people before and seeing people after and being in a room with people that are also happy to be there and also having an experience and, you know, running into strangers and old friends. I I do miss it. Yeah. Mm. And I guess those two concerts took place on opposite sides of the world as well. So are you able to attend lots of concerts wherever you are in the world? No, I I think usually when I'm in non-COVID times, I'm traveling a lot and I'm usually, I'm traveling for something that I've either a piece I've written or something I'm performing in. So I don't, I don't get to hear a lot of other things, but I sort of made a commitment to, to try and change that, you know, in the last year and now here we are. (laughs) So well. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're listening at home to music, when in COVID times and non-COVID times, how do you tend to listen? Do you stream music or are you a record listener? Um, I, uh, I mean, I do have a record player, but I stream almost 100%. I'll occasionally do, if I'm home in New York, put the radio on because I just love, you know, New York, WQXR, WNYC, and the sense of serendipity of like, I don't know what's going to come on. Which is the piece that you can't live without? If I thought about one piece of music that that sort of encompasses everything that I am maybe want to feel or think about or listen to or structure, you know, just it's a full map of maybe my human experience. And that's the, the Bach Chacon because it is, I mean, it is a piece that I've played and know extremely well as a violinist, but just from beginning to end, the the journey that you go through either as a player, or as a listener is to use an overused word profound. <laughs> and I don't feel, I feel so inadequate trying to, you know, put it into words, what I feel about that piece. But there's something, I think there's a wonderful metaphor about the repetition of a certain chord progression, like sort of experiencing something over time in slightly different ways, and then having it pivot and turn sort of halfway or two thirds of the way through into something that you weren't expecting, which is what it does about two thirds of the way through or halfway through, it pivots to this, to the major key, which is so beautiful. And that's really all I feel comfortable saying about it. I've ever met a composer that doesn't feel incredibly passionately about Bach. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Why is Bach? There's something, I don't want, it's not, I mean, safe is not the word, but there's something, you know, this music doesn't 
push me into a certain feeling in the way that I feel like a lot of 19th century music does. And also his life was so sort of dedicated to the community that was around him. Like I love that he he wrote music for the people that were there on Sunday and and he did have this, you know, the huge ambitious piece, the Mass in B minor, but a lot of his other most profound works are very small to the degree of like, for me, the, my favorite work, the most, the work that touches me most deeply, that feels like the most complex encompassing of experience and spirituality is this one piece for solo violin or the box suites for solo cello. So very few other composers have as many works for solo instrument as he does and it's there's there's it's meaningful it's a meaningful efficiency and of creation that i that i just am in awe of and as a listener when do you turn to that piece when at what moment of the day would you put it on interestingly i you know i feel like that's the piece that i answer as, as means the most to me but i would rarely listen to it yeah. i can't remember the last time i listened to the box <laughs> You know, it's something that's like, you don't, I can't go to that place too often. <laughs> the, but what I do go to, I go to, um, there's a, you know, cool recording of the French suites. I love Preludes and Fugues, you know, the keyboard music. Occasionally, if I'm feeling feeling really wild, I go to the, the, the keyboard concertos because you have orchestra with you. But a lot of it's the keyboard music because it's so playful and fun. And yet it like puts my brain into a place that I find really delightful. <laughs> So our final question is, what is your current musical obsession? It's usually a hip hop playlist of called Rap Caviar, which is on Spotify. And I'm kind of obsessed with that because it, there's always something new or a new sound that I've never heard before. And, and I just, I really love this music. But I also have a, a playlist that I've made for myself when I have to clean or do something or get up or get some energy, which is, it just goes back and forth between the Brandenburgs, the Bach Brandenburgs and um, Britney Spears. <laughs> and it's uh, really exciting. I highly recommend it. You can pair Bach Brandenburgs with anything that you love. ABBA is another big favorite. Um, Beyonce, anything that just like kills. It's so good. Um, I don't think Britney Spears is great, but I think the um, sometimes the juxtaposition of going back and forth is really fun. And it kind of hit the nostalgia button in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. And also have that very particular 90s production sound. There's some positives and some negatives about that sound. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you pick the Brandenburg concertos to pair with these eclectic <laughs> 90s albums? I, I think because they, they bring me so much joy, especially Brandenburg 3. is like, I mean, that might be my alternate answer to like a piece that I can't live without is Brandenburg 3, where it's just like, I like my body will move this way because it gives me such, such joy. Like the beginning of the last movement, especially if you find a recording that's fast enough and quick enough and has the right energy. It's just brilliant. And then there's that moment of the viola solo toward like, it's like a second viola solo at, towards the very end of the movement. That's just touching and lovely and um, full of wonderful energy and harmonic twists that I, that are, it's a vibe. Brandenburg's are a vibe. put you on the spot and ask you what was the last uh the last listened track on your spotify or chosen streaming platform of choice what do you think it would be <laughs> oh i think it would be actually really 
delighted to tell you. I think it was the Bengals. We were listening to the Bengals. So like a, it's our new get up music. Um, Bengals Eternal Flame. <laughs> <laughs> you should be proud to tell me that. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of a little bit proud. I, uh, yeah, Bengals are great. I didn't sort of didn't know you know, about them. We were reading about this other sort of all-girl rock group from the sort of 80s, 70s, 70s, 80s called Fanny. And then we kind of were thinking about the Bengals. And I recorded this. There's a movie movie called Bombshell. There are three singers and one of them is me and one of them is um, Susanna from the Bengals. Her husband is Jay Roach, who directed the working on then uh let's see a few a few different things one is a um there's a film score for a film that's being made right now by a wonderful director named josephine decker based on a book called the sky is everywhere and um so we're sort of working on that intermittently there's another film called mayday which i'm doing a little bit of music for and then i'm starting a new <clears throat> not starting. I'm almost done <laughs> with a for a new string quartet that will be played in January for the Muro Quartet, and and then a piece that's sort of like a an evening length thea- theatrical dance piece that I'm making with a, a dance artist from Vancouver named Vanessa Goodman, and it's just the two of us, and we're it's lots of recorded music and samples and we've we've created this environment which is has record players and tape decks all in a circle connected by like orange wire so it's all about kind of memory and music and and there's ocean sounds and glen gould and it's i can't really describe it but i'm very very excited about it there's not one particular strand or style of music or genre that you've stuck to it film scores to opera to string quartet like that is one of the most eclectic <laughs> lists of on your to-do list you know I'm really I feel very fortunate very incredibly lucky to get to do to do that and I'm always learning and I say I think I say yes to projects if, if I've never done them before because it's there's something to figure out and that you know, three, string quartets are the thing that are the most comfortable that's sort of I always have something like that going on that's my like sort of bedrock but there's just a lot of great, you know, there's a lot of great music and music making and ways of making music. There's a ton that I wish I could 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 do more of. I'd love to do more sort of hop and uh, pop and hip hop production. I think I've done a little bit and I really like it. But um, you know, there's always something to figure out. And how do you work straddling both of those worlds, the classical world and the the pop world? Because they do work very differently. How do you find <laughs> They were totally different. There's totally different. Um, It's really, I mean, right now I'm not really going back and forth, but around 2015, 16, 17, I was really kind of going back and forth between sort of Kanye West world and and some of my other projects. And, you know, I think I, what I, I think the pop and hip hop world has encouraged me to listen in a sort of more immediate way rather than getting super close to the page in the way that I could as a composer, you know, you you end up, a lot of what you're doing is engineering lots of dots and lines on a page to create the thing that you have in mind. So there's a danger of getting so close to it that you lose sight of, of what will ultimately be heard. And um, in pop music, you're not, 
usually generally not dealing with that kind of engineering. It's a little bit more of a distant way of listening to the music. So that's, wow. they kind of, they, they feed each other in different ways. <laughs> Fab, well, that you've picked some absolutely stonking musical choices. So thank you very much for considering those. Thanks for talking to me. That was Caroline Shaw talking to Freya Parr. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the team at BBC Music Magazine. Do let us know what you think of it by rating and reviewing it wherever you've been listening. If you want to find out more about BBC Music Magazine, we're available in print and as a tablet edition, or you can visit our website, classical-music.com, where you can read all about the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more.